subject line that I have never taught before. Um, I'll be honest with you, I have some concern because for me personally, it's somewhat of uncharted um, material for me personally. But I would really like to make an effort tonight to clear up some things that may be in our minds and um, give you some strong scripture basis for things the Bible teaches and to give us more motivation. Uh, I have been teaching a series on Wednesday night, Are We Really Submitted? And I'd like to give you some more information that will lend to that. Um, I'm not sure you'll do a lot of amens and praise the Lord's tonight. And um, I don't know how engaging this will be as far as keeping your attention. But I do trust tonight that you'll glean some things out of it because I have personally. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about the destruction of doubt by obedience. The destruction of doubt by obedience. In other words, you can eliminate a whole lot of doubt that may exist in your relationship with God when you choose to obey Him. Because when you obey God, then you're doing your part. And if you're going to be saved beyond that point, God will have to do His. Does that make sense to everybody so far? Good. Your overwhelming affirmation was amazing. Does that make sense to everybody so far? Let's start something new. When pastor needs a response like that, just sit real still and stare straight ahead if you agree with what I just said. And let's see how that works. <laughs> I'm not going to give you folks a pass. Y'all should know that. Tonight, I want us to take a look at backsliding. That is incredibly and very disappointing relevant in our area. I'm sure everyone here tonight knows a backslider, at least one. And you think, and when you pray for them, of what would it take to get them back to God? Everybody knows a backslider. The second part of this is apostasy. It's where a person reaches a place mentally and spiritually. I'll leave that a little open, but mentally and spiritually, where they can't come to God. It's called apostasy. It's very similar, a lot of overlap with God turning someone over to a reprobate mind. I do believe that I know a handful of people that's reached that point. They couldn't come back to God if, no matter what God did, they, they can't be drawn to God. That's probably as far as I'll get tonight in this Bible study. If I don't finish, next Wednesday night, I want to talk to you about assurance. So we're going to talk about backsliding, apostasy, and assurance. <clears throat> and again, it is with some trepidation that I enter into this arena of Bible study and scripture 
because of the content of the scriptures that we're going to wade through tonight. I'm going I'm to read a lot of scripture not to bore you, but I want you to understand what the Bible says about these things and how important it is to submit and obey the word of God. We shall not allow, pastor, to the best of my ability, will not allow the scripture to say what they are not saying. But on the same hand, we must allow them to say what they are clearly saying. Does everybody understand that? We all hear the thing that people like to twist scripture. I have no effort to do that. If it says it in the Bible, we're going to do it to the best of our ability. So with that understanding of what Scripture states, I'm certain that every person here tonight, at some point in your tenure of relationship with God, has questioned, am I really saved or not? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I'm sure we have. I believe tonight that a person can know beyond any shadow of doubt the absolute certainty of salvation. I believe people can know that. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Jesus even said that. If you love me, keep my commandments. There will be people here tonight that are old enough to remember the song. It was a hymn when I was growing up. I know I'm saved and I'm so glad about it. I found the joy my spirit craved. It is so real that I could never doubt it. Oh, praise the Lord, I know I'm saved. How many's ever heard that? Wow, more than Tanya? And you are how old? No, I'm kidding. Uh, but we used to sing that. And uh, I can hear my mother's voice in my ear singing that song. They sang back then, I know I'm saved. And there's no doubt about it. I want to read some, some scripture setting here tonight. And some of them are particularly troubling. The first we will read is in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. And I'll read through Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It's a little bit lengthy, but please bear with me. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation and in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. The writer's referring to the time when the children of Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do not always err in their heart and they have not, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. They were delivered from Egypt but they never made it to the promised land. That first generation of Jews. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart 
excuse me, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. This would be backsliding. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that we could enter in, uh, so we see that we could not enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. Let us therefore fear, let everybody fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they... If they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein. And they to whom it was first preached entered not because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth. A certain day saying in David today, after so long a time, as it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. For if Jesus had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. He's talking about the Jewish people in two cases. The 40 years they wandered in the wilderness, that first generation that left Egypt, did not enter into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, except Joshua and Caleb. They were the only two. Then he refers to the Jewish people to whom Christ came, and they believed not, and they, God cut them off, and they are blinded to this day. Now he's going to come back and restore them. But when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, began his ministry, they refused to believe that he was the Messiah, and God cut them off. So they've been cut off twice. I want you to understand that. God has biblical precedent to do that. No matter how much you say you believe. I want everybody to understand. Verse 10. For he that entereth into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, 
and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This passage of Scripture, in its proper context, gives us a setting of very strong indication that a person can backslide, you can have embraced and engaged a legitimate, genuine relationship with God, and then break that relationship and lose that relationship. That's called backsliding. If one is not careful after living so long backslid, their heart can become so hardened they enter into a state the Bible calls apostasy and they can't be stirred by the Spirit of the Lord anymore. And they can't come back. That's what this scripture setting is referring to. In addition to that, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible said, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptism and laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance. Again, this is talking about people who move away so far into a backslidden condition, they move into a state called apostasy, where they can't come back to God if they wanted to. For the earth was which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. So when you, the, again, I want to keep this in context. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish scholars, if you will, instructing them that the Old Testament law of Moses was only a pattern a plan, a shadow, a type of things to come that would all be fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And that's why it was imperative that they accept Christ as the Messiah. And then he went on to teach how that the new birth experience was God in man, not just with man. So this is the context. So he is teaching them to these Jewish people You have been enlightened under the law of Moses. You've been given prophecy. You've been given a type, a pattern, a shadow, etc. You've been given all of that, plus you've been given the Messiah, and you still refuse to believe, and God allowed them to sink into a place called apostasy. That was that generation of people, and they died not knowing who Jesus is. A lot of them did. So that's essentially the context of the book of Hebrews. So when you look at these passages and even others in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you take them in their proper context, the the idea of unconditional eternal security is dealt a death blow in these scripture settings. If one adheres to the concept of unconditional eternal security, then there are huge issues that must be explained away in the scriptures that I just read to you tonight. One man said, and everybody listen carefully, one man said one time, and this is worthy of 
remembering. You cannot behave yourself into heaven, but you can certainly misbehave yourself into hell. Everybody said amen. So while it is not my desire tonight to go off into a discussion of eternal security, I do feel the necessity to briefly address it before going into the assurance of our experience with the Lord. When I read through all of these passages of Scripture, I confess tonight, and I, and I do often, I'm being very transparent here tonight. Um, I don't know how many of you think I, I, about on a daily basis, are you really right with God at that moment if something happened? If you're in the car accident, whatever, are you going to die and go to heaven? If the rapture took place, are you going? I don't know how many of you folks think in that context. Uh, I think a lot of people try to bury that thought. They don't necessarily want to face the reality of it. Um, it troubles me often. And that's just me personally. It, it troubles me often. I need on a very continual, consistent basis, the assurance of conscience, of knowledge of the Word of God, and then based on my relationship with God, if something happened to me, that I'm right with God. I'm right at that moment to, to go to heaven. I think some of us defer that question and feel pretty good at the end of the day that whew, I made it again without having to address that. You know, I didn't get killed today and nothing bad happened today. Maybe I'm morbid. But I want to go to heaven, and I want to go really bad, and I don't want to miss it over something stupid. So when I read these scriptures, I confess tonight that I begin to feel kind of raw. I feel kind of a, a fear that grips my spirit. It's, it's almost as if the devil is attempting to put as much fear and to my heart, to my soul, about my relationship with God, the devil can very quickly pick and, and, and just gnaw at all of the imperfections and the blemishes in my life and then hold up against it that incredible standard of perfection to which I could no way respond to. So the questions that roll around in my head, um, today I had a, a wonderful lunch appointment with somebody. I rode my motorcycle. As I was getting on the bike, the thought came through my mind, if something happened to me riding across town on this bike, would I go from here to heaven or would I be in trouble? It crosses my mind. Every time I get on it, every time I get in my car, when I go to bed at night, I often pray the little child's prayer. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I want to go to heaven. And I don't want to miss it over something stupid. I want everybody to understand that. So the questions abound in my mind. Am I really ready to meet Jesus? Has my life been acceptable? Have I done everything I know to do? Have I given to God everything I have to give? And some of you may be thinking that, my word, if the pastor feels that way, where do we stand? I feel, and I don't say that in a, a bad way, say it very honestly, but I feel like God has called me to a place of accountability. 
like no one else. And um, it's burdensome sometimes. But is my life acceptable to God? Have I really experienced what I say that I have? And I want to present to you folks here tonight, as I've stated in essence, I've not said it exactly like this, but I have said it in essence. And I'll say it again. If what we believe cannot withstand hard questions or difficult doubts, then our faith isn't worth that much. If what we believe cannot withstand the hard questions or the difficult doubts, then our faith is not worth much. The fear that I mentioned is certainly motivated by hell. I have lived with a fear, Brother Billy, and I think, is that Matthew back there? I can't see with the lights. Law enforcement people. I have this inherent fear of, of something, of doing something and having to go to jail. I just, I, I would rather die. I would. I, I'm not going. It's going to be a battle for somebody. I'm not going. I'm using that as a silly illustration tonight to lighten the atmosphere just a little bit. But if you think I have a fear of that, if I met God not being right with him, I don't know what I'd do. And I don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk it. So the fear that I talk about tonight that's in me personally is motivated by hell. But at the same time, I have a very, I believe, a very healthy fear of God. God has never been anything that I want to play with. God has never been a toy to me. God has never been a tool. God has never been limited to a song or just limited to the Bible. God is this all-powerful being. That has total control of everything. And if you don't please him. He can do back to you as he pleases. This is very heavy tonight. And I knew it was going to be. And I don't mean for it to be. But I'm, I want to teach some things here tonight. <clears throat> I feel very blessed brother Wheeler. That I have been born and raised in a church environment. As judgmental back then as I believe it was but at the same time there was put in me an inherent fear of God that I respect God I reverence God we all hear people using the name of Jesus in slang terms they use the name Christ they'll put them both together Uh, they'll use the word God as cursing and slang and even vulgarity Uh, I've been places and heard it used in vulgar. I I can't even let myself think that, much less say it. It's a reverence to me. I have a reverence for the house of God. We don't play games in here. Uh, There's things that don't go on in this building to the best of my ability. There's things that don't go on behind this pulpit. It's a reverence and a fear of God. It's not a trembling fear that I think God's going to smite me at all times. But I understand who he is. And I want to make sure I know who I'm messing with when it comes to God. And I believe that a lot of our current generation 
of people, millennials and others, they don't have that godly fear. They're not that worried about meeting God. They believe they can text God to death and he'll take them into heaven. I can Facebook God and he'll take me into heaven. And I believe people have a a mindset, maybe a little extreme, but you get the point. I believe our generation has almost forgotten about the, that holy, reverent fear of God. We live in a, a, a religious environment today that so much has been expressed about grace and acceptance and forgiveness that it has come at the expense of God's sense of justice and holiness and righteousness. I teach the grace of God. The name of our church is grace for crying out loud. But also I understand that there's still an existence in the nature and character of God, elements called justice and holiness and righteousness. And it consumes me sometimes when I consider ministers especially that uses this grace and acceptance and forgiveness and you can do whatever you want and it don't matter and, you know, this scripture don't mean that and let's just take this scripture and throw it out. I'm terrified to do that. I've been challenged by people to do it. That with the environment we have, if I'd let go of holiness standards, this church would triple or more. I don't want a church that'll triple. I want a church that can be raptured. So God has been basically transformed into an idol of gross proportion, which renders him almost as an equivalent to the golden calf that the Israelites bowed to to worship shortly after their miraculous exit from Egypt. It's amazing to me they did that. God, with his strong arm, the Bible said, delivered them out of Egypt and bondage and all that stuff, and they turned right around and built an idol. We do the same thing. We've done the same thing. Fear not has become the battle cry of the uncommitted and those to whom even raise an eyebrow toward the process of the fear of the Lord as dismissed as killjoys and legalists. You just want to take the fun out of living for God, Pastor. They want to, who want to tear down what seemingly has occurred in their life, much like the Jews did on that day. But just for a moment, while we're on this venue of thought, consider these passages in relation to what God had to say in respect to fear and our own salvation from the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This scripture, we have to understand here tonight. You you can't take the Bible and do whatever you want to with it. You can't take the scripture and interpret it any way you want to with it. You don't have to agree with me. Go home and study for yourself. I encourage people to do that. Call me a liar. But the Bible is very clear that if we are not in obedience and submission to the word of God, how are we going to escape? 
because there's a long list of people and angels that didn't. Long list. A long list. So we should give the more earnest heed. Hebrews 4.1 again we'll read. Let us therefore, uh, let us therefore fear, respect, revere. Lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching, verse 25 paralyzes me. People miss church at will. It doesn't matter. Every, anything and everything can trump a Sunday morning church service. Verse 26, for if we sin willfully. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. I don't care what the Bible says. I've taught Bible studies in July and August. I've taught the Wednesday nights during that same period. And throwing stuff out here, and uh, there's still folks not responding to it. They'll walk in and listen to it and shake their head, and amen, walk right out, and nothing changes. That bothers me. Is it possible that people... Let me move on. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for our sin. In other words... If Calvary is not enough to forgive you of your sin and to encourage you to stop sinning, then there's nothing else God can do sacrifice-wise for you. Calvary's not going to repeat again. Does everybody understand? Please understand. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Under two or three witnesses, they heard it over and over and over. Did you know that four times in the book of Deuteronomy, when Moses repeated the law back to the Jewish people, he said, For thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said that four times. It's repeated two more times in the New Testament. And people look at that and say, Well, I love God, but I can't love him with all my heart. And he'll just have to understand that. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trod, trodden underfoot the Son of Man and hath, not, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, and I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So while these passages certainly contain a very ominous tone about them, when one will systematically look throughout the word of God, there are other passages that promote great certainty and assurance to the, son, to the child of God. So I want to stress that. 
these verses I've read tonight. It's talking about backsliding. It's talking about apostasy. They're ominous. They're ominous tones. They're dark rain clouds, if you will. They're dark storm clouds that loom. And if you don't handle your relationship with God properly, you'll walk into one of them. And you're not going to come out on the winning side of that. But on the other side, when you read the Bible and all the promises and whatnot, when commandments are obeyed, you become a recipient of that. So while there is a very healthy spiritual and godly fear, I also believe there is a fear that is not the will of God that will work to try to destroy our faith and what he has done in our lives. Um, this is where I, I've, been, I've, I've taught on Sunday the necessity of discernment. On Wednesday night, are we really submitted? This is kind of what it all culminates to. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible said, According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and knowledge temperance, and temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet. As long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, which is what I'm attempting to do tonight. So I would like for the prevailing question to be in the forefront of your mind 24-7. Am I ready with God right now? Am I right with God right now? Am I right with God right now? Let's talk for a moment tonight about the destruction of doubt. Let's, let's start moving on now, and uh, I think I've established the point I hope I have. When working through Scripture, we come to understand that there's a place in our relationship with God that one may have a sense of certainty. It is very possible to have this sense of full assurance that you are ready for rapture or for death should it come. It's also a privilege that comes with the birthright, if you will. If there is a waffling back and forth about our relationship with God, the devil can use these thoughts at will and do his best to destroy us. It's when people go hot and cold in their relationship with God and the devil uses that against you. If you can motivate yourself and discipline yourself to live consistently a life that's pleasing to God, then you take a lot of the devil's tools away from him that he can use against you. All of us remember the old song that was written by 
uh, Fanny Crosby entitled Blessed Assurance. I believe that song can be sung with great faith because there's some very solid theological moorings that are found in that song. Blessed Assurance, it says, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Biblical terminology, biblical vernacular, if you will. So if you want to destroy doubt concerning your relationship with God, if you want to get rid of doubt concerning your relationship with God, then continual self-examination is important before progressing fully into the idea of assurance and godly certainty. It is important to address what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about self-examination. We should constantly be analyzing and examining our actions and our motives, not other people, ours. In fact, after looking throughout much of the Word of God, it is very apparent that God will not just judge our actions, but He will also put our motives in the balance to see how they stand the scrutiny of His judgment. The Bible said, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus is in you, except you be a reprobate. The Greek word for examine means to test, to scrutinize, to discipline, to prove, to even entice or tempt. When this certain examination takes place in one's life, there's much good that comes from this. In fact, John asserts that the only real way to know our status with God is to elevate whether or not, or excuse me, to evaluate whether or not we are obediently keeping His commandments. That's bottom line, the point of examination. Our times, our current church culture that we live in today, are marked by a very low commitment to priority of self-examination. We do kind of the opposite of that. We don't examine ourselves to see how well we're doing. We find the problems in our lives and then blame it on everybody else. That's our culture today. We don't want the responsibility of what we may find through self-examination. As a matter of fact, there's, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to bring this to a close. I'm going to have time to finish tonight. I know that there's an element of people, there's a movement in Pentecost that says, well, if I speak in tongues on a daily basis, then that means I'm right with God. I know people that believe that way. Uh, I have struggled with that my own self in times past. That if I can just pray and speak in tongues, then I know I'm right. Understand the teaching of the Word of God. This can be a very deadly and even toxic way to determine a man's relationship with God. Speaking in tongues are the initial sign of the Holy Ghost. The continuing evidence of a true experience with God is going to be marked by the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And we teach that continually. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the next step is to develop Galatians chapter 5 in reference to the fruit of the Spirit. That's the sign that you still have the Holy Ghost, not necessarily speaking in tongues. 
You can have the Holy Ghost, and if you manifest the fruit of the Spirit, it indicates a healthy relationship with God. You can speak in tongues till your teeth fall out, and it don't mean nothing. Paul said that. Why did you refer it as the sounding brass and the tinkling cymbal? So we have to be careful that there's a balance of, of priority in our life when it comes to spiritual self-examination. I'm in no, way, in no way trying to minimize the importance of having an active prayer life where we pray in the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. I'm not, I'm not putting down on that. But there's more to a relationship with God than just speaking in tongues. And I'm focusing tonight more on a direction of lifestyle once a person has received the wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost, what happens after that. And I'm almost done for tonight. Thank you for your patience tonight. Y'all been amazing. Frankly, our generation has been overwhelmed with imposters who profess a life-changing work of the Holy Ghost in their life, but there's no evidence of it. I've received the Holy Ghost. I spoke in tongues, but there's no evidence of their lives being changed. So much of this is seen from the world at large who claim Christianity is their pedigree. American Christianity has very little authenticity because of a great lack of obedience. American Christianity has very little authenticity because of a great lack of obedience. In 1 John chapter 2, the apostle indicates that there are some, that, that some came along and were present for a while, but then made their exit from the apostolic church. That's happening in our day to day. There's this is a fulfillment of the parable in Matthew 13 of the four kinds of soil upon which the seed falls. One need to look no further than to Demas, who was actually involved in ministry to some degree before he cast aside that calling for a final and deadly fleeing into the world. The child of God who is given toward self-examination will find an overarching concern as to the real purpose, meaning, and significance of his or her life. I want everybody to understand that. When you start examining, am I really right with God? Am I really in line with Scripture? It's going to have an impact on you that you can't measure. If it, it will be spent in an effort to further the gospel and to become a mature child of God. In conclusion tonight, in addition to this, a true saint of God, a true saint of God, a, crew, a true Christian, Again, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. A true saint of God will allow the word of God to really direct how he or she lives his or her life. A true child of God will understand the importance of prayer and what it adds to a relationship with God. Obedience can be summed up generally in the understanding of what holiness and righteousness is, separated from the world and separated unto God. God. <clears throat> I wish tonight I had time. I'm out of time, about five minutes over. To talk about assurance. Please come back next Wednesday night. And I'll talk to you about the assurance you can have in your relationship with God. But I want everyone here tonight to know we're not really saved until the pearly gates click behind your heels. And we have to do everything in our power to make sure that happens. <clears throat> I hope I've not been too 
heavy here tonight and cause somebody to have nightmares all night long. That hasn't been my point. But I've just wanted to take the Bible tonight and if you will just hold it up like a mirror and say do you match what you see when it comes to the word of God. Human reasoning, human logic does not, it's not going to work with God no matter how much you think that, well, there's not a big deal about this, not a big deal about that. When the Bible says things, then it is a big deal. And we'll be judged according to what the Bible says. I want everybody to understand that tonight. You're going to be judged according to what the Bible teaches. Not what your logic says, not what other church people do, not what you can get by with. I'm asking you folks to do some soul searching, do some self-examination. Am I, is my relationship with God healthy? And am I right with God? Am I right with God based on what the Bible says? Is that good? Everybody understand? If you didn't catch all this, feel free to go back and watch it again on, on our uh, podcast. But I hope you've gleaned something out of it tonight. I want to go to heaven, don't you? Amen. Thank you for being here. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time in the Word of God. And yes, sometimes it's tedious and sometimes it's, it's challenging to plow through, but it's nonetheless the Word of God. And I pray tonight that we can understand that we can fall short a whole lot easier than we think. That we can fall short a whole lot easier than we think. I pray, God, that you would arrest our attention, that we would be more sober, that we'd be more diligent and faithful when it comes to our relationship with you. God, bless these sweet people. Bless them, I pray. Keep your arms around them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you again. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning. If I'd have known y'all just going to sit there, I'd have kept going. I mean, I'm just, just saying. <laughs>